The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Podcast. Welcome to the Free Speech Coalition Occasional Podcast. My name is Jordan Williams, and today I'm joined um, by Patrick Korish, the Free Speech Coalition Coordinator, Dr. David Kuman, one of our spokespeople, and Malcolm Moncrie-Spittle, uh, David and Malcolm being the plaintiffs in the court hearing that we've just come from, um, that's now part way through its, its first day. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, um, by way of background for listeners, we've um, it's the lunch adjournment, and we've spent the morning listening to the opening um, remarks from our QC. Um, Malcolm, perhaps you might want to kick us off and, and tell us how you became in, uh, involved uh, in this proceeding. Uh, well, I'd uh, been following Lauren Southern's uh, videos on YouTube for a, a year or two since I first... Uh, uh, came across her, I think the first video of hers I saw just by by sort of accident or by, by YouTube recommendation was where she'd gone along to a, a feminist uh, demonstration. She'd been holding up a banner saying there is no rape culture in the West. And, and so she was uh, at that time making these kind of confrontational videos where she was um, trying to put forward a different narrative to what... Uh, it's becoming um, like uh, within these some of these university sort of student cultures. There's this kind of increased sort of um, well, like you can call it the sort of regressive left, like people coming up to protest conservative speakers like Ben Shapiro or or turning up to protest against events like Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, yep. And and. Then, David, how do you fit into the grand scheme of things? We've got our ticket holder. Um, you're also named as one of the applicants. How do you fit in? I am, and I think I'm, I'm named as a taxpayer, and that's really born out of my concern, not necessarily for supporting what the speakers are saying, but to support their right to speak. Uh, and uh, I'm concerned at uh, what we've seen overseas in some uh, other countries where people whose views are not liked by the authorities are shut down. Uh, and people whose views are not liked by violent elements within society are uh, shut down because of threats of or real violence. And I don't want to see that coming into New Zealand. And on the other side, of course, we saw the lawyers today for um, uh, Auckland Council, that being the uh, Auckland facility, sorry, Regional Facilities Auckland, uh, Auckland Council and acting for Mayor Phil Goff. There was another um, set of lawyers in the courtroom, though, Patrick. Um, that's the Human Rights Commission that, yes. that um, we can come back to. Um, but... In short, what was the submissions we heard summarised for our listeners and we'll put the written submissions uh, as a link in the notes to this podcast, but mm. what, have, what ground have we covered this morning? Um, well, we covered the first ground, which was uh, whether or not it was reasonable to, to cancel the event or cancel the licence, and so that, that comes under a judicial review ground known as um, irrationality or ir- irrationality. Um, but the, most, the majority of the morning was spent on uh, the judiciability, whether or not um, regional facilities Auckland, Auckland Limited had... Um, uh, had exercised uh, government power if they were uh, operating under a, um, a purely commercial, a commercial or private um, power, then the courts can't intervene and do anything about it. So, what's the what are the two views on that, and why wouldn't the courts be allowed to look at this? 
we're arguing that we that it is reviewable because um, regional facilities Auckland is is acting in place of Auckland uh, Council in providing public platforms in a public venue, um, which is, which has a um, a, a real public value. Um, regional facilities Auckland is um, is arguing that it, they're operating under a private context because they had um, a commercial contract, and so because of that, it was purely commercial or, or, or private. And um, and also there were other private venues that were available to them, so they were actually not. They're arguing that they were actually not uh, exercising any sort of public uh, power. And so we've heard that this this came up quite a bit, David. What's your as a um, as a as a non-lawyer or Patrick's a law student? What um, what were your impressions of this morning? Yeah, it was fascinating. Um, it's the first time I've been in a courtroom, so uh, everything was a bit new and interesting to me. But I thought this discussion on the point of whether or not the court should actually hear the arguments, the substantive arguments in the first place, um, is really interesting. And and the judge questioned uh, Jack Hodder QC, the lawyer acting on our behalf, um, stridently on this point. And I think it's important from a legal technicality point of view. What I th- I understand, and Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong, is that even if this was a commercial uh, entity, uh, there would still have to be a due process before the contract was terminated. Is that right? It, yes, that is, but it, only if the um, it, parties to the contract uh, raised it. So that would have been a, a civil matter instead of a public matter because Axiomatic was the, um, the contracting party and they're not a party in, in these proceedings. Um, we have no power to ch- challenge them on, com- on a commercial private grounds. Right. So as since you're representing the taxpayers and, and um, Malcolm's representing uh, ticket holders from a, a clearly a free speech point of view, um, we're actually operating as outsiders and the only inroad into um, uh, challenging the, this decision is through a public um, uh, judicial review process. Right. So it's really trying to avoid the principle, isn't it? They're saying that, that David, you as Joe Ratepayer, having funded these venues... Um, uh, that that might be the case, but the council was running these venues as a commercial entity, so they're saying that it's not, they're not judicially re- um, reviewable. In relation to Malcolm, they're saying, well, no, your contract was between Axiomatic, the event promoters, uh, and yourself, and you've been refunded the ticket, go and talk to them. And they're saying, well, because Axiomatic are no longer here, for the benefit of listeners, Axiomatic were originally part of the proceeding, but went into liquid, or I... Uh, I think have gone into liquidation now, um, so I had to pull out. They're saying, well, sorry, without them here, you guys don't have standing, which is a little bit cute because, of course, when we started this out, it was about the mere tweeting, I've banned these people, and haven't we come a long way? Hmm. Um, in fact, it was I had, I had surmised that reading the written sub- submissions of Auckland Council saying, well, that was totally wrong, that council was now bending over backwards to try to establish that the mayor had nothing to do with this decision, yet when we um, launched these proceedings, it was because the mayor was saying the exact opposite. And it's it, it's interesting now that their defence is now the opposite of what their own client was was, was saying publicly. Uh, I just... Uh, well, Jack Hodder, you brought up the Local Government Act to, um, to a few times, and there was this... Uh, Councils are supposed to have this commitment, uh, not just to provide sort of the, the, the pipes and the um, that kind of infrastructure, but to meet the social and cultural uh, needs of its population and, and that spirit, the, the human rights of freedom of assembly, freedom of association, freedom of expression are important. Uh, so um, I don't think the size of the venue should be 
the two minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like sometimes you, a large venue and it's a sort of political event rather than entertainment. Event. Judge asked um, Jack for a specific, you know, show me the government pow- uh, power that, that is being exercised here. And it looks as though the judge really wants a specific bright line saying, what is the action being exercised here, which is governmental and not just commercial? Um, whereas I yeah, think, and that, and that sort of tied into the idea that this is a, a council-controlled organisation, a CCO that's supposed to act independently yeah. um, and at least operate as a commercial venture, notwithstanding its what, 70 80 percent subsidised subsidised rate, right. ratepayers. I think the response to that would be uh, uh, water care or Auckland Transport clearly undertaking a core role of local government, a governmental function, to use the the, the um, legal right. jargon, um, but albeit through a CCO. And that is, it looks to be, at least so far, what this stuff's going to turn on. Do you think that's because they have mainly a monopolistic presence in the respective cities? Well, that's disputed. I mean, it, it's our in our submissions, we say that, you know, the, and the reality is, having been, been speaking regularly to the axiomatic... Um, uh, hosts or promoters at the time that they really struggled to find an alternative venue because m- the vast majority of the suitable ones, i.e., large enough, are council owned or connected to the council or the mayor in some way. Uh, the um, judge has picked up on some submissions by Auckland Council that hang on, uh, Axiomatic did manage to get the power station. Uh, uh, signed up, albeit briefly, and then they cancelled. And the council sort of turned that round and said, well, this shows that this isn't a public function, this actually operates in a commercial market. And that's a um, that's ultimately going to be up to the judge. Yeah. Can I ask another question on this point? Because it does seem to be uh, the central point of the arguments that we had this morning um, before we're just having our lunch break now. And uh, that is what precedent it might set if the judge were to rule that actually Auckland Council-operated venues are not public venues, they are commercial entities. What kind of precedent does that set for other council-owned or operated uh, facilities like Auckland Transport, like water care, uh, like other things? What implications might that have? Well, it would be uh, very worrying, but if you read in the submissions, which unfortunately we can't release to listeners until Auckland Council has had an opportunity to present them, which should be this afternoon, but um, we can't guarantee it. If it is, by the time this podcast goes out, we'll attach those as well. They make a distinction between what they call community venues, and that is that the the sort of the, the small halls around Auckland, um, where they appear to uh, accept that that is a uh, a governance function, uh, as opposed to the larger venues where they say, no, no, that has done for commercial reasons. And it's a sort of, I think, dancing on the head of the pin. I, I guess our risk is if, that if the court says at the end of this, well, it was done on a commercial basis, uh, therefore it's not reviewable, therefore we're not even going, we don't have to even examine the key question, which for us is balancing this health and safety um, versus free speech, versus free speech um, that that may have a detrimental effect in terms of flowing down because, as you guys know, that, that, that uh, often uh, it is as important as it is to win this case, it is also to be able to demonstrate to other councils that no health and safety is not, and not just councils, the likes of Massey University, um, that health and safety is not a total trump card because if we can get over this judiciability hurdle that it is reviewable, we then get the court to, to have a look at precisely what we want to, which is the question of how 
much uh, did they genuinely look at health and safety, and that's perhaps something, David, you can expand on being more of an expert in that area, <laughs> versus just, no, no, the mayor's out there. I mean, there's a, it was read this morning about uh, the, the mayor uh, uh, staff saying to regional facilities Auckland, quote unquote, the mayor has itchy Twitter fingers. You know, there is a, while the, while the council's legal position is that that wasn't influenced by the mayor, the facts are that he was at least uh, uh, following very carefully what these officials were going to decide in relation to cancelling this event. Yeah, to the, to the extent that not only were his Twitter fingers itchy, um, but he was also uh, the patron of one of the other large venues that isn't council-owned, uh, and I, I believe Axiomatic were told that they wouldn't have a chance of getting that venue because of that fact. So there's clearly some influence uh, around that. Um, but to speak to the health and safety, I think that that's drives to the heart of the entire case. And um, Jack was reading out this morning uh, the sequence of events, and to hear that the council uh, essentially made a decision to ban the event, to cancel the speakers, to prevent the likes of Malcolm from turning up and listening to these two people uh, before they had even had a response or before they had even sent an email to the police uh, is outrageous. So this fundamentally is about, well, as, as long as we can get over this first hurdle, about um, rights or balance of rights perhaps, and we've got the Human Rights Commission lawyers sitting in, uh, in front of us uh, when we're sitting at the back of the court. What's, um, what's their two cents on, on this matter, David? Well, uh, having read through their written submission, not having, them heard, not having heard them speak to it yet, uh, it's deeply disappointing in my eyes. The Human Rights Commission was established through, I believe, the Human Rights Act. Uh, and in that act, they have a responsibility to uphold and educate uh, the public about human rights and one of those rights is the right to freedom of expression as Malcolm has pointed out and their submission seems to be that uh, actually you know what the, the the freedom to form opinions should be done in private not in public uh, so there is a limitation that can be imposed on that and actually um, they're not standing up for human rights and it, it, it's a total disgrace in my opinion uh, I'm, I'm hoping that when we get back from this lunch break, there's a complete change of heart, um, that the Human Rights Commission lawyers um, actually return back to what their function is stated as in the law and that they do start to stand up for human rights. Uh, I know that's a pipe dream, but I live in hope. Yeah, it is a real shame that we know that they've been in regular communications with Auckland Council, yet, as far as I'm aware, haven't had any dialogue whatsoever with the Free Speech Coalition, which was of, which was founded to protect one of the very principles that they are that that uh, they are, um, are charged with promoting, so it it is extremely disappointing. I mean, to come back, you made reference earlier to the point around uh, fr uh, freedom of conscience or freedom of thought that that uh, should only be done. Or they submit that only extends to being done in private. What they're saying is that that doesn't extend to, for example, being able to hear from someone's views and adopt those views. So the freedom is only in the head if, you're, um, uh, if, if you accept the um, Human Rights Commission's written arguments. Um, and again, once that's presented orally, we'll be able to share that with, um, with our members and supporters. Which is strange. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The same section that applies to freedom of thought also holds conscience and religion. So if you're going to practice a religion merely in your head... 
you're denying someone the right to, to practice manifest religion in whatever way you see fit. So as soon as that those become actions or rituals, um, it, it no longer applies, or you can you can no longer do that. The, the broader context of this course is the is the Human Rights Commission is actually quite supportive of the ideas of of um, hate speech legislation and yeah. things like that, and it it did frustrate me, and I suspect it probably frustrated Malcolm that. In, there's a there's a bit of a um, a um, bit of a barb in their submissions about that. Of course, that would be relevant here. That they argue that councils can justifiably um, uh, ban speakers when they are going to preach hate speech, for example. Um, now, there's no evidence that I've seen before the court that these that w- while these speakers are controversial, there was no indication that they were intending to break New Zealand law. Um, in their uh, in their public performances, that's exactly right, and I think that is exactly the broader context. The, the Human Rights Commission, for a long time now, I'm um, going back to at least 2017, when they submitted to the UN um, Committee on Racism that New Zealand should have hate speech laws, have been pushing for exactly that. And um, so, it, it's not really a surprise, unfortunately, that they've taken the position that they've taken, at least to me. Um, but it is deeply disappointing and and hugely concerning for our society as a whole, when an organisation that's set up to protect basic freedoms is actually undermining them. And I think that's the much broader context here. It's not just Auckland Council, it's not just Massey University, it's not just these isolated cases that do add up, but it's actually a core institution that is mandated to do what they are now undermining. So this is set down for two days. We're at the Auckland High Court, um, probably by the looks of things, will last the two days. If you're a member and um, supporter, come along and show your support. It was great to have only standing room only at the back of the court uh, this morning. Um, or alternatively, consider joining or donating to the Free Speech Coalition at freespeechcoalition.nz. Thanks very much.